0: All right, guys. Let's see. See if anyone comes and joins. But we're gonna t- we're gonna discuss um, U.S. Treasuries market and blockchain. So I've been reading more and more about this stuff, and they call it real world assets, obviously. Um, and as the years go by, more and more real world assets are going on chain. Everything from something like Treasuries being tokenized to uh, eventually, I mean, houses. Um, could be titles to cars, titles to homes, um, and and eventually the stock market. It's just a matter of time before it happens. Uh, but let me back up a second. Anything I say here is not considered investment advice. Please consult your own financial consultant. Uh, this is purely for educational purposes only. But I want to dedicate this podcast today to and this uh, Twitter Spaces today to um, U.S. Treasury bills. So there's. Bills, notes, and bonds, right? So the bills are um, range from four weeks to 52 weeks, so basically one month to um, a one year. Um, those are bills. Then there's notes, which are basically more than a year to about uh, five years, I think, are considered notes, and then anything above that are considered uh, bonds, right? So um, the yield right now is the yield curve I should say right now is inverted Um, so some people measure the yield curve slightly different I mean the the curve itself is measured the same but what instruments they use so some people use the the two two year and the ten year treasury some people use the two year and the five year some people use the one year and a five year, um, some people will even use, will even use like a six month, and a two year treasury, um, and when you, normally the longer dated treasury, the higher the interest rate. Obviously, right? You're tying your money up for a longer period of time, so you get compensated more. But the yield curve today is inverted and has been inverted for uh, about a year now. Um, and I'll I'll explain to you what happens like when the when when the yield curve gets inverted. So you have money coming in. They the big time investors they want to or not that they want to, but they put money towards shorter dated security. So one month, two month, three month, four month, six months, one year, um, two year, for a matter of fact. They put it into those that paper because they know interest rates are rising because the economy has heated up and when they know the Federal Reserve is raising rates. But in the longer term, they think that... They, they're, they're unsure longer term, put it that way. So they're more sure of the short term than the long term. So they're willing to, to lock their money up shorter because they don't know... You know, why lock it up for 10 years today, or even five years for that matter today, when you don't know what the future holds? I mean, you're never going to know what the future holds, right? But is more than this, this is like a the environment we're in is um, more volatile as far as what the Fed's going to do and what the economy and how the economy is going to react to whatever the Fed does rather than what, it, what, what it's what it been since the financial crisis 2008 when the Fed started doing their quantitative easing and, and drastically dropping interest rates basically to zero or zero bound. And the whole world knew what the Fed was doing. They were transparent as could be. What Everything they said they were going to do, they were going to do. And they kept rates extremely low. So the yield curve was not inverted, right? The shorter-term paper yielded far less than the longer-term paper. And even the longer-term paper, like a 10-year, was... Was yielding about one and a quarter to one and a half percent. So, the one the the one month was basically zero. Um, but when all that money printing they've been doing since two thousand and eight, and then when COVID hit, they they the, the money printer went into high gear. Um, they, disinflation came. You cannot you cannot create all that money and all that liquidity in the economy without creating inflation. Whether or not the Fed saw this coming, I don't know. But it came and it's here. So for the past year or so, the Fed has to fight the inflation, so they've been raising rates drastically. As a matter of fact, it's the most drastic they've ever raised them in a, in a one-year period. They went basically from zero bound to 5.5% on the uh, 10-year Treasury, or I should say on the federal funds rate, and, and the 10-year and a 5-year to 2-year, they're going to follow the Fed funds rate, and there'll be a little disparity between the Fed funds rate and what they're yielding because of market dynamics. So, the Fed, the Fed, since they've been created in whatever it was, 1913 or 1933, whatever the, number of the year was, they've never raised rates that fast in such a short period of time. Okay? So, they've raised rates that fast, but never in that short period of time. So, we have a, a, a yield curve that's inverted. Just to go over some numbers, the one-month uh, Treasury bill is 5.52%. The two-month is 555 The three-month is 5.55%. The four month is 5.6. So you can see from one month to four month they the, the, the yield kept going up, right? from 5.52 to 5.6. But then in the six in, in the six month bill, it dips to 5.52. And that dip continues from the one year, the one year is 5.44. this is, this is right from the uh, US Treasury website. The one year is 5.44, the two year is 5.01 the 5 years 4.44 and the 10 years 4.3. So you can get a 1 month treasury annualized yield of 5.52 compared to a 10 year treasury of 4.30. So that's 122 basis points more for the shorter paper than on the 10 year. Like I said earlier most people do 2 year 10 year that's two years, five point zero one. Ten year, four point three. So it's inverted by seventy one basis points. Um, some people do the one year and the and the five year. The one year again is five forty four. The five years four forty four. It's a hundred basis points. So you can see the inversion. Now, what does the inversion actually forecast? The inversion forecast an economic recession, and. The fork, that forecasting tool has an extremely high success rate. And I believe from 1960 until prior to right now, I believe it's a 90-some-odd percent success rate. I think only one time did the yield curves invert. And I'm not saying invert for a day or two. I'm saying in, stay, be... in become inverted and stay inverted for you know a period of time three four five six months ninety some odd percent of the time it happened since nineteen sixty there was a recession within twelve to eighteen months so we've been inverted now for we've been inverted now for I would say at least a solid year, maybe even slightly more than a year so from when it from when it first becomes inverted and then stays inverted. So figure three to six months after it started, it probably got inverted last I'm thinking it was like last July where it inverted. So um and I could look it up on a chart. I just didn't do it. Um so you figure where three to six months after that, let's call it the end of twenty twenty two. So we are eight to nine months into that twelve to eighteen month period where you should where you should be uh, expecting a recession. So, the interesting thing about that now that's that's treasury yields. The interesting thing about um, tokenizing or putting this stuff on chain is that it's starting to happen, and it's and it's happening in a major way because the interest rates have gone up so much and it's they're so enticing to buy these treasuries right so c- certain c- certain stable coins for example like uh, maker dow like um tether like usdc so take tether and usdc they they don't have 100 percent of their of the capital in dollars right they have the bulk of it in dollars, but they also have a percentage of it in U.S. Treasuries because U.S. Treasuries are considered to be risk-free. Are they 100% risk-free? Of course not, right? Um, but they are considered to be risk-free by the investing community. The United States has never defaulted; uh, is not expected to default, although that's debatable. Um, so, like I said, considered risk-free and considered basically as good as cash. So they do take a percentage of their assets and buy treasuries. They're taking a bigger percentage these days, those stable coins, and buying treasuries. Why? Because they can get 5% annualized rate on a one-month, a two-month right, a three-month, like we just went over. So it's a no-brainer. MakerDAO, I believe they're at like 40-some-odd percent of their portfolio and income is coming from treasuries. And it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, if I was, if I was managing that money for those stablecoins, I would be doing the exact same thing. Um, so therefore, those treasuries are on-chain. And more and more financial firms, institutional firms, are going to put more and more of their investing dollars that are going into treasuries, and they're going to eventually con- continually put them on-chain, not just stablecoins. You could be talking Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, And these big firms, they're going to go towards that because it's immutable. It's right there for everyone to see. It's unhackable. It's just a better way of uh, total transparency. It's a better way of than, than the legacy system that they have today. Well, what does that mean? So right now, the minimum purchase for a U.S. Treasury bill is $100 right so that's fantastic so that's opened to you know everyone you me all of us we can all pretty much everyone can afford $100 right so you can that's the minimum investment into a treasury so that's awesome um, and as of the end of July there was 1.484 trillion just shy of 1.5 trillion dollars issued in treasury bills in the month of July alone think about that just in the month of July alone, sh- Treasury bills from one month to one year is what's considered a Treasury bill. Almost $1.5 trillion was issued in the month of July. Massive demand, obviously, for these things. And if you look at a chart of Treasury bills being issued, you'll see it just rising over this past year. You go back to the end of 2021, for example, m- far fewer treasury bills were being issued because th- th- the rates were so low but now with the rates spiking there there's massive interest so to put it in perspective according to uh stellarium which is a a website that follows uh total value locked on blockchain all blockchains total value locked is right around 62 billion dollars that's a far cry from $1, $1. 1.5 trillion dollars right 62 billion with a b so the total value locked within defi that's defi total value locked within defi is a minuscule fraction to the treasury market and that's just the treasury market you're not talking the eurozone and every any other zone there is so Short term treasury market in the United States, again, treasury bills one month to one year, to put this in perspective, is 24 times larger than current total value locked in DeFi on the blockchain. Right? That is just astronomical. Will all 1.5 trillion in that it like in a, a per month go on to chain right now? Absolutely not. Will it happen in the future? Absolutely probably in the next 10, 15, 20 years, it will be the norm, right? Um, But right now, I can see it happening between now and say next summer or next September, a bigger percentage, as long as as interest rates stay relatively high like this, you'll see a bigger percentage of that 1.5 trillion every month go towards and be tokenized on chain by different institutions out there. And more and more is going to come more and more to the mainstream. JP Morgan, they're already doing it. They're just doing it in smaller, you know, doing it in small uh, percentages. They're going to be increasing the percentages. As they see the benefits of it, they're going to continue to do it. And who's going to be the big winner? Obviously, it's going to be Ethereum. Ethereum is the largest. It's the big dog right now. They got 20 20 some odd billion dollars on their total value lock. They're literally almost half of total value locked in all of crypto right um it's gonna go to it's gonna go um, it's gonna go to ethereum um binance is relatively big today these days nowhere's near ethereum but if god forbid that guy cz and binance is in trouble that you that's that capital will move very quickly off of there you know off the binance blockchain um Solana is still relatively small in the game. Tron's actually pretty big, but I expect Solana is going to increase. The more their blockchain stays stable, the more capital they're going to attract for sure. Tron is attractive, but again, you know the. the US government uh, is looking into Justin Sun. So there's a you know, there's a possible, um, I don't want to call it danger, but a possible conflict of interest. There, just like with Binance, so that capital got. If there is something going on with Justin Sun, uh, even if it's on a personal level, that capital will flee the Tron blockchain. So a lot of it will go back to Ethereum. I think a lot goes to Solana if their if their blockchain stays stable. Um, but the bulk again is just going to go to Ethereum, and then as we talked about in yesterday's podcast, if Arbitron actually does. Um, does pull off that stylus with the EIP forty eight forty four and transactions become sub penny, it's going to attract even more and more and more and more, right? So Ethereum is going to be the big winner, obviously, and so will their layer twos like arbitron Polygon, and the others. Um, and I, just as I said yesterday, the capital has been flowing. The cat, the people talk with their money. They speak with their money. Their money shows the action. So. You're gonna we we don't expect it to change anytime soon. Ethereum is either the second or the most secure chain in the world. Um, Debatable between the Bitcoin Maxis and the Ethereum Maxis. I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. I believe they're both extremely secure, Um, and they're both extremely decentralized. Right, Um, and again, that's an argument between Bitcoin Maxis and Ethereum Maxis. But I believe both are are. just great chains unfortunately you know bitcoin is basically a store of value and that's its thing right and the developers have they took that narrative years ago and they've run with it and now you know if this happens over time the way i'm expecting and real world assets more and more real world assets go um on chain and and ethereum garners the bulk of them it's just it's a matter of time before ethereum overtakes bitcoin as the largest uh crypto in the world the writing is on the wall unless something drastic happens to ethereum the writing is on the wall or bitcoin developers figure out a way to compete with ethereum for DeFi, smart contracts real world assets on chain and I, i don't read or see anything like that happening anytime soon um and the longer they can't pull it off, the more capital is going to flow to uh, Ethereum. And, that, and that's it. Again, Bitcoin is a great store of value. We know it's 21 million. It will never be tw- more than 21 million. Ethereum is now becoming uh, deflationary. And we're going to do a podcast on that here sometime in the future. Um, there, when, once they went the, the merge and they had the proof of stake, Every day they're doing transactions and you could look you could look on different websites every day the transactions going on in ethereum they burn a percentage of the transactions uh, fee on ethereum therefore they're actually every day they're burning more eth than is being issued so it's becoming deflationary and the more the ethereum blockchain is used the more ETH is going to be getting burned, right? So it gets issued and and more is getting burned. So, and the way, if this plays out the way we're thinking with with real world assets and more and more treasuries, that just means more and more Ethereum is going to be getting burned, right? So, um, if anything, it's going to be remaining stable. I think it's somewhere around 120 uh, million uh, Ethereum out there. Um, Could it, become inflationary again where they're burning less than they're issuing of course anything could happen but if what they've been doing now for the past year or so if that trend continues and we see these this real world assets picking up and activity picking up and if, if there's a bull market again which i'm sure there will be there'll be even more activity uh, and then if arbitrum comes through and the fees are that low it's going to be a home run and it may even dip below 120 million ETH out there. So it's completely deflationary. So we'll talk about that sometime uh, in the future. But the writing's on the wall for Ethereum to become the largest crypto by market cap. It's, in my opinion, it's their ball to fumble, right? Ethereum. Um, I know that they're not now, and Bitcoin is um but bitcoin they their developers have seemed to kind of fumble the ball right they're they're stuck on this narrative that we are a store of value because there's never more than 21 million and that's great and assets will flow to it because of that narrative right and because their technology is set that way but in the financial field people just don't want store of value right people want store of value plus earn a return on their capital. And what do you think Ethereum has built? They've built a store of value where you can return, you can, you can create a return on your capital. Why these different DeFi protocols and, and staking with Ethereum. So now you got your, you got your hedge against inflation, right? you, you, You've got your store value plus you're earning four, five, six, seven percent a year, whatever the number is. Where Bitcoin, it's stuck. It's purely, it's purely, price go up. If Bitcoin's price does not go up, you're not earning anything. If Ethereum's price doesn't go up, you're still earning. If Bitcoin's price goes down, not only you're not earning anything, you're losing your value. So your store your value is going down. And Ethereum's price goes down. Same thing, right? You're not earning; you're losing, and your store of value is losing. But you're earning on the DeFi side. So, the again, the writing's on the wall, and I, in my opinion, it is Ethereum's ball to fumble. And if you follow, um, uh, Raul Paul, uh, you should really listen to him too. He's got uh, phenomenal advice. He has a small exposure to Bitcoin. The majority of his crypto portfolio is in ethereum small percentage in bitcoin and a small percentage in solana and an even smaller percentage in others but he's literally like 75 percent. i think he said the other day in ethereum for his crypto portfolio so he sees what i see for sure so that's my rant for the day i hope you guys enjoyed it i'm gonna end it how i always end it no man should have the power to create a money for free That another man has to work for. God bless.